The reading is Acts chapter 16, starting from verse 10 to verse 40, and can be found on page 1111 in the Red Bibles. We have Bibles in other languages and versions at the back, and page numbers for those on the screen. So Acts chapter 16, starting from verse 10. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. From Troas, we set, put out to sea and sailed straight for Samothrace, and the next day we went to Neapolis. From there, we traveled to Philippi, a Roman colony and the leading city of that district of Macedonia, and we stayed there several days. On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river, where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshipper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptised, she invited us into her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. Once, when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God, who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned round and said to the spirit, In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the spirit left her. When her owners realised that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrate and said, These men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open, and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, "'Don't harm yourself, we are all here.' The jailer called for lights and rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, "'Sirs, what must I do to be saved?' They replied, "'Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved.' you and your household. Then they spoke the word word of the Lord to him and to all others in his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all his household were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. 
He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. When it was daylight, the magistrates sent the officers to the jailer with the order, release those men. The jailer told Paul, the magistrates have ordered that you and Silas be released. Now you can leave, go in peace. But Paul said to the officers, they beat us publicly without a trial, even though we are Roman citizens and threw us into prison. And now, do they want to get rid of us quietly? No, let them come themselves and escort us out. The officers reported this to the magistrates, and when they heard that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens, they were alarmed. They came to appease them and escorted them from the prison, requesting them to leave the city. After Paul and Silas came out of the prison, they went to Lydia's house, where they met with the brothers and sisters and encouraged them. Then they left. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Rods, very much for that. And uh, please keep your Bibles open as we look at uh, the gospel coming to Philippi, another city. Uh, lovely day at the Spring Fair yesterday. Thank you very much. It's lovely to see you all. And those of you who splattered the vicar, um, I'm going to name and shame. No, I'm not. It's all right. <laughs> so, uh, but... Uh, Interestingly, as I was looking again at the passage, I saw Paul and Silas were, were flogged and put in stocks. And what was a kind of fun thing for us was a real thing, the cost of the, of the church coming to Philippi. Philippi, um, about these three changed lives. I'll talk about that in a moment. But there it is, Kavala, just up there in northeastern Greece. That's the area. And uh, if you read the Acts of the Apostles, you... Um, you, you come across something that's, that's quite interesting. This is interesting. There are three life stories. And you say to yourself, why, why have you got these three life stories here? Now, Luke um, wrote the gospel. He wrote Acts. But at the end of Luke's gospel, there were three particular stories about the resurrection. Here, there are three life stories. But why, why did he pick up on this? Why was this something you felt he needed to write down? And I think the answer is um, that if you follow the story through, if you turn over the page, if you've got your Bibles open, turn, over, turn back to Paul's vision of the man from Macedonia. Um, so they're traveling around. They travel through the region, region of Phrygia. I always think that's a cold region. And, uh, and Galatia. And they were kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. So when they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them. So they passed by Mysia and went down to Troas during the night. Paul had a vision of a man from Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. And then notice a little word changes. After Paul had seen the vision, we, see that? We got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So it seems that actually what happened at that moment was that Paul joined the party. Paul joined in. He said, ah, now I'm, I'm with the missionaries. And what blew him away was the way that lives were changed. I think, it, I think, I think he's saying that actually, as he starts his little section, this happened wherever we went with the gospel. Lives were changed. And, uh, and that's what it's all about, lives being changed. And so I want you to listen in to the story, and I'll ask you at the end, which one of these three people relates to you most? 
Which one of these three people you think, oh, I'm like that person, or I was like that person before I became a Christian? So, and that's, that's a simple thing you've got to do. It'll help you stay awake in the sermon and so forth. So here we go. First of all, Lydia, the religious person. Paul had been inside the city, and uh, we're reading now from um, verse 13. Um, and uh, he'd been in the city for a few days, and there, there obviously wasn't a synagogue, because he always used to start in the Jewish synagogue and explain from the Old Testament how Jesus was the Christ. But they didn't have one, probably because you needed ten men uh, or more to start a synagogue. So there probably weren't ten men. So they went outside the city gate, um, and I can imagine actually um, that probably Roman law may have said that synagogues had to meet outside anyway. But he went outside the, the gate, and he went to the river, and there he saw a group of women, and amongst the women was Lydia. And Lydia was wealthy, probably. She was an Asian from Thyatira. She dealt in purple goods. And that, some people are suggesting that she had a link into Caesar's household because purple was an important co- color for them. Purple, you'd get the color purple from the, uh, from the juice of certain shellfish that would just... Uh, you've probably seen, uh, seen that somewhere. Uh, but she was called a worshiper of God. And that's the thing I want you to notice about her. Um, and that is a significant, it's a technical f- phrase, really. Um, verse 14, she was a worshipper of God. What that means is, is that she wasn't Jewish. She was a Gentile, a God-fearer, uh, someone who had read the Old Testament or was hearing about the Old Testament and was seeking to know the God of Abraham, of Joseph, of Moses, of Esther, of Ruth, of, of David, and so on. And uh, she, was, she was wanting to know that. And, and, and we read here, the Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. So as Paul was speaking, the Lord opened her heart, opened her mind, as it were, and she understood. Now, what did he say? <laughs> what did Paul say? Um, I, I think it was probably what Paul probably said in Antioch in Pisidia in chapter 13. You don't have to look there, but preachers tend to repeat themselves. And, uh, I, 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 you know, you're, I'll start an illustration. You could probably finish it. In fact, actually, that's what happened when I left my previous church. I started an illustration, and everybody was able to complete it, which was really embarrassing. Um, but, so they tend to repeat themselves. And what he said in Antioch in Pisidia in chapter 13, verse 36 is that he's talking about David. David's talking about the resurrection. And he says, well, David died, but actually he's talking about a greater David. And this greater David was one that God raised from the dead. And forgiveness uh, through Jesus, that's who he's talking about, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Everybody who believes in him is set free from every sin. A justification you were not able to obtain under the law of Moses. So probably what Paul would have said might have been this. He might have been saying to Lydia, you're hearing the Bible stories, but you're hearing them wrong. What do I mean by that? Well, it's what religious people do. Uh, we, We read about impressive people in the Old Testament, and we think to ourselves, 
If I'm to be a believer, I've got to be like that. I've got to be like Abraham or Moses, or I've got to be like King David. I could be like David when he fought Goliath. You see? And so we, we never feel we're good enough. I mean, the story of David and Goliath is an interesting one, you see. She would have probably have heard it and thought, oh, David, wasn't he amazingly brave? I've got to be as brave as that, and I've got to slay my Goliaths. <laughs> and Paul would have said, no. <laughs> no. David is pointing to a greater David, the Lord Jesus, the king, and David and the greater David, Jesus is going to win a victory just like the old David. And, all, and because he won the victory against Goliath, and all the people were able to participate in the victory. And because Jesus has won and defeated against sin and death, huge Goliaths as it were, anyone who trusts in him will also participate in the victory. It's not about what you do. It is about the fact that it's been done for you. And that's a lovely thing to realize suddenly for a religious person. Trying to please God and then realizing that it's actually Jesus who does it. Now, I am probably stretching it slightly in that, but I, I don't think I'm too far off to think that that is probably what, what happened to her. And... Once, lost my place here, she's set free, but she's set free by a recent explanation from the Bible. There was nothing dramatic. She didn't sort of have a Damascus Road experience or anything like that. It says that she believed, she was baptized, and we know that um, she was converted because she did something very simple. She wanted immediately to serve God's people. She who opened her heart to the Lord now opened her home to his servants. I think that's John Stott. It's a beautiful phrase. And that is the sign if you're converted. And, you know, you, you, one day, you know, you, you didn't understand, but suddenly it all kind of came clear and suddenly now you want to do things for Christ and for his people. So, there's the first person. Are you like Lydia? Are you like Lydia? Maybe you are. Second person, the slave girl. Well, now she's completely different. She's oppressed. Um, she's in a double bind, the slave girl. We read about her from verse 16. Um, she was exploited by others for financial gain. She had this ability to, to tell the future. And so she had some slave owners, as it were, and they, they were just raking it in from her. They were using her which happens today, not in the same way, but exploiting people. But she was also in another bind as well. And that other bind was, um, was that she was possessed by a spirit. And uh, immediately we start talking about this. You go, well, this is a bit strange. Yes, it is a bit strange, though not strange to everybody here, by the way. Um, some, some of you come from cultures where spiritism is around. But uh, literally in the Greek, it's the spirit of a python. And you go, well, what's that about? Well, the oracle of Delphi was apparently guarded by a python. Um, and uh, the oracle of Delphi could tell the future. 
And uh, when anybody can do that, they say, ah, that's the spirit of the python of the Delphic Oracle. That's what they would say. So that's what she had. Very strange to modern Western ears, um, this, uh, this kind of discussion. But the slavery isn't strange. The slavery isn't strange. Addiction? Or, or it might be psychological or whatever it might be, or, or financial. No, people are in slavery today. They're not able to break out of their patterns. And what this person needs is not so much a reasoned explanation as the powerful intervention of Jesus Christ. And it's amazing, really, the powerful intervention. She was, by the way, she was, she was giving a message that was mostly true, but not quite. So don't confuse the supernatural with the divine, right? Don't, don't do that. Just because somebody can do something impressive doesn't mean it's from God. Because Paul was feeling mm, very uncomfortable. Do you see in the passage it says he was annoyed? Can you see that? Well, that's probably not the right phrase. Um, he, he probably was disturbed. And it went on for days, and he was going, this is not right, this is not right. And all the time he's getting this free advertising from this strange-sounding girl, probably. And he's saying, this is not right. This is not coming from a good place. I don't like this. And so in a very powerful way, he says, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ, speaking to the Spirit, come out of her. Now, I'm not suggesting that we all rush into exorcisms. There's a, there's a danger in that, by the way, um, particularly if you sort of follow the TV style of exorcisms, which are shouty and commanding, all sorts of things. And, and St. Paul was an apostle, after all. But <laughs> let us believe in the power of God to deliver people from that kind of slavery. Prayers of faith, trusting in the power of Jesus, does deliver people. And I'm not suggesting that people are, are always fully um, healed and completely better. Sometimes they bear the scars of the slavery in their lives. But you know that Jesus has won the victory. When, you know, when they've trusted in Jesus, he's won the decisive victory. And you know that's only going into one place, which is a full and free uh, rejoicing in heaven that she will have or he will have. And, and I think it's right to pray for people. Um, Lord, please release so-and-so from uh, whatever's stopping them believing in Jesus. Uh, I, I, we had, I know one girl who was into sort of witchcraft. Um, and uh, it was steady prayer for her. And just reading the Bible, actually. She was a combination of Lydia and the slave girl. So reading of the Bible, and she was freed from that. There was, it kind of had a grip on her, made her very anxious and fearful. Another person that we, 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 we know well in this congregation, now gone to the church plant, was, was, was gripped by an addiction to um, a kind of lowish level drug, but um, was addicted to it and felt that God was looking down on her and saying... Uh, I didn't make you to be like this. <laughs> and she was released from that. You know, it was a sort of a powerful intervention. What I'm saying is that God does that in people's life. And when we see that, we give thanks. So she came to Christ. 
I believe it doesn't say that the slave girl came to Christ. But again with John Stott, I think I can probably say if there's a pattern of three here, probably she did. Um, it was by that kind of releasing power. So different, you see? Different. She was probably taught, certainly Lydia was taught and the jailer was taught, the gospel, the same thing. But their way in was different. Now the third person, um, I, I don't know if, if you relate to that person. You may do. Um, she needed the power of Christ in her life. And thirdly, the jailer. And I've called this person the disinterested pragmatist. <laughs> Probably more interested in the results that are going to happen today at three o'clock. Uh, uh, so that's football, in case you didn't know. Um, uh, you okay, Some of you are not uh, very disinterested in football. Um, uh, now, the, the deliverance of Paul and Silas did cost them uh, and any gospel work does have a cost because you challenge the culture and uh, you, because you believe that the gospel sets people free and Christian truth sets people free. So when we, we stand for, for, for Christian teaching on morality or relationships or whatever at school, in education, um, you know, we'll, feel, we'll feel the cost of that. You know, people... We're, 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 not, uh, we're not like that um, at all. Uh, but um, what happens to them may well happen to you because uh, what the people said, um, particularly the owners, they were very upset. They seized Paul when they saw their opportunity for money was gone. Verse 19, they dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and they said this, these these men are Jews. Well, they were Jewish, but they were Christian, of course. But they are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. In other words, these people, these wretched Christians, they're bad for the city. And there's, there's a contemporary ring there, isn't there? People say, well, we're bad for the city. No, we're not. No, we're not. No, no, no. If, if there is a God who made the world, then following his plan for the world is the right thing. But anyway, what happens is they were hauled before the courts. They were thrown into jail. We read that. After having been stripped and beaten with rods, and the jailer, uh, and they were severely flogged, and the jailer was, uh, was commanded to guard them carefully. He put them in the inner cell. He fastened their feet with stocks. He didn't... Um, Helped them at all. But it's where they met the jailer. The third person. And uh, he's a Roman soldier. He probably wasn't looking for a sermon. He probably didn't want uh, some sort of emotional or um, uh, cathartic experience, or psychological experience, or deliverance indeed. But he does have a conscience. They, were, they, they came in oozing with blood. He doesn't bind up their wounds. He puts them in stocks. And the point of the stocks is to stretch your legs out that way so that it's the cramp that really gets you and that's what's so painful but what he doesn't understand is verse 25 it's midnight and they're singing holy 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 <laughs> just going, holy holy i want to see you you know just just, just praising the lord and uh, i just think this is 
what is going on? He's saying, this is weird, and everybody's listening. Free concert, you know, everybody's listening. Uh, free worship concert, you know. And they're going, this is a ma- what? Why are they doing that? What kind of people are they? So we certainly by now, really curious, really wanting to know. And then something happens. Suddenly there was a violent earthquake. Now, that could only have been the Lord, but uh, it is on a fault line, I believe, Philippi. And the foundations of the prison were shaken. And all at once, it tells us the prison doors flew open and everybody's chains came loose. My chains came off. My heart was free. Now, their real chains came off. And he thought, well, that's it. Oh, no, I've lost the prisoners. So he knows what he must do. He must fall on his sword. It's an honor and shame culture. He has failed entirely in his job. He literally has to kill himself. He has to fall on his sword. And he's about to do that when suddenly a voice from the darkness calls out, hold on, hold on, wait. We're all here. How extraordinary is that? We're all here. I mean, how Paul managed to persuade everybody, guys, just take a seat. You know, it'll, you know I don't know how he did that. <laughs> but he did, okay? And this man must have thought, who sacrifices his liberty for the sake of a person's life? Because by doing that, he saved the jailer's life. Who does that? Clue, Jesus. <laughs> no, but... Yeah, you all know the end time you ask a question, it's always Jesus, isn't it? No, I won't tell it. Yeah, anyway, move on, moving on, moving on. And so he says, he invites the question. The question, it's lovely that this kind of lifestyle invites a question where he says to them, he called for lights, rushed in, he fell before Paul and Silas, and he said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? What a moment. What a moment. And they say, believe in the Lord Jesus, you will be saved, you and your whole household. It's this person, Jesus Christ, who gave up his life for you. And uh, when Paul writes to the Philippians later, he does that lovely, it's sort of called a hymn. I don't know if it is a hymn, but it is, you know, talks about how Christ gave up his life. He, you know, he, he, he came down from heaven to earth. He emptied himself and so on. Maybe that got through to the jailer as he read it um, years later. And so he says, what am I to do? And then he's told what to do. And clearly something happens in his heart because at that hour of the night, beyond midnight now, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. See, I think that was probably the thing he had a conscience about, you see. But he washed their wounds. And as he washed their wounds, the blood of Jesus washed his soul. Just fabulous. It's, it, it, it just, you know, you just think, you're going to meet these people in heaven. You realize that, don't you? <laughs> you say, what was it, you know, what was it like? Talk, talk me through it, you know. <laughs> it's going to be quite extraordinary. And then, of course, the sign that he's clearly converted, not only the washing of the wounds, he says, you must come and have some food to eat. You must be hungry. And, he's, and he feeds them. Now, the, the, there are, there are un, unanswered questions. What happened to the rest of the prisoners? I don't know. Um, but uh, certainly, uh, they were all set free. Um, I, I can't spend any time on this last section. But um, Paul kicks up a little bit of a fuss. Um, I think for the sake 
of that early Philippian church to say, look, I was a Roman citizen, you shouldn't have done that. And uh, they, um, uh, that I think probably helped the early church. But verse 40, after Paul and Silas came out of the prison, they went to Lydia's house where they met with the brothers and sisters and encouraged them. And then they left. And think of, there's that little church. You, honestly, three very different people. If it really was the slave girl as well. Lydia, very different from the jailer. Different class, you might say. Different in nationality. Different in experience. But there they were, that early church. And you know, years later when Paul wrote to the Philippians, you know, when he said, he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. Can you imagine the three of them at the Bible study when that's read out? They're just looking at each other. Yeah, yeah. We remember. We remember when he started. What does this mean? The good news is for everyone. A nation, a Greek, and a Roman. And they're very different sorts of people. There is an ancient Jewish prayer which I think is um, not approved, but it highlights maybe some uh, issues or prejudices. And the ancient Jewish prayer is, thank God that I'm not a slave, a Gentile or a woman, man praying, obviously. And what do you have in the early church? <laughs> a slave, a Gentile and a woman. <laughs> there it is. And, uh, of course, that's why Paul says at the end of Galatians, there's neither male nor female, slave nor um, free, uh, Jew nor Gentile, all one in Christ. And then all one in Christ, these people are united in the city. Um, they, uh, they wouldn't have crossed the street to talk to one another, but now they're brothers and sisters in the Lord's family. And you want to know how to keep unity in the church. If you want to know how to keep unity, the more Jesus means to you, the more Jesus' people mean to you. Okay, Jesus doesn't mean much to you, then you'll probably be caught up in arguments. But if Jesus means a lot to you, then Jesus' people mean a lot to you. And thirdly, do notice that people need different things uh, to draw them in. It's the same gospel that builds them up, but they come in different ways, as we've highlighted. Now, that early church cost them something. And if we do go into church planting, there is always a cost of some kind. And it might be with the culture, it might just be, it might, you know, cost you... Uh, you might have to move or whatever you know there, there may be some cost and 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 that element is always there but I, Paul and Silas didn't focus on the cost they were singing when a church is singing it's a great sign if the singing's not good the church is not healthy <laughs> I think Augustine wrote that you know when he was in Milan and they were they were, they were, they were being persecuted it was the sweet sound of singing that, that, that blessed him. So there will be a cost. <clears throat> Why did Luke write this then? Why did he write this chapter? In this way. Because then he disappears off the scene. It's back to they at the end of the chapter. Why did he write it? I think he wrote it simply because it is all about changed lives in the end. And we're praying and that your life, your lives will be changed. Some of you... Uh, are in the stage of thinking about becoming Christians 
and your life will change. Some of you have started as Christians, and we pray that your life will continue to grow and change into the person you're meant to be. You're already accepted now if you're a Christian, fully accepted, but, he, but God is going to turn you into the person that he wants you to be. And it is the only thing, I think, that can change a life. And you will see in this country, in the next 20 years, all kinds of efforts to change people's lives. And they'll say it's educational, it's this or it's that, it's legislation or whatever it is. The only thing that can really change a person around is the gospel. So he wrote it because of that. How did Paul feel about this church? Well, in the letter to the Philippians, he said, um, I'm running the race for the crown that is set before me, for the prize, he says in Philippians 3, 14. And then he goes on to say <clears throat> this in chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, my brothers and my sisters, you whom I love and I long for, you're my joy and you're my crown. So stand firm in the Lord dear brothers and sisters. You're my joy and my crown. And that's a, that's a beautiful thing to say, isn't it? It's, it's what he lived for. Which one are you then? Lydia? Slave girl? The jailer? Maybe you're all three. I don't know. And just be thankful for the way that you came to Christ or realize you can come to Christ in different ways. It's the same gospel that will build you up so that more lives are changed for the glory of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that you change lives and you do miracles and uh, you, uh, you, you demonstrate what the Christian life is like by, um, by other people's lives. That's what impresses. So Lord, I pray that uh, we might continue to see changed lives here at Platt and in Manchester. For Jesus' sake, amen.